copy of God's Word this morning, please, and open again to the book of James. James chapter 4 at this time. James chapter 4. You know, as we think about this Memorial Day weekend, we remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. I got to thinking about them and I thought about how many of them died very young. Uh, many of them died even while still in their teens. And you know, beloved, the truth of the matter is none of us know how long we have left to live. We have no idea how many months or days or minutes we have left to live. And you say, oh great, it's Memorial Day weekend. I could be on the lake eating a hamburger, but instead I'm here listening to the preacher tell me that I'm dying. Well, you're right on all those accounts. You could be there, but you're here, and yes, I'm telling you that you're dying. We all are. And beloved, uh, if you'll listen, you may leave here today knowing how to live like you've never lived before. Knowing how to make the most of the time that God is going to grant you from this moment onward. And uh, we come to one of my favorite passages uh, in the book of James. And, uh, you know, we've called this series Practical Christian Living, and it doesn't get more practical, I think, than today's passage because God's going to talk to us here in His Word about our calendars and about our schedules. We're going to talk about planning your life, planning your life. And I know that we have some among us, and you would classify yourself as a planner. And you've got it all planned out, and you love to use your uh, day timer or apps or whatever, and you like schedules and lists, and then we have others you just kind of let life happen as it happens and you just kind of go about. But we all have plans and you've got plans, no doubt, for this afternoon and plans for tomorrow. So let's see what God has to say to us about planning our lives. James chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 13 and read down to the end of the chapter. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you've ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him... It is sin. You know, it's interesting. In our study so far, we've talked about the power of the tongue. And we've talked about the fact how we struggle with our tongue. And we struggle with pride. And we see both of them are present here in today's passage. There are words being spoken. Uh, there's arrogance. There's pride talked about here. This is a pretty straightforward, pretty easy passage to follow, don't you think? We have here a business plan laid out. And the business plan is basically this, today or tomorrow, a little bit of flexibility there, today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain city, we're going to set up shop, we're going to do business there, we're going to stay there for a year, and then we're going to come home, if you will, with a profit. Now hear me well, the Bible does not condemn traveling, the Bible does not condemn planning and making preparations and conducting business. The Bible doesn't even condemn making an honest profit. In fact, if you're going to have a business that's going to sustain itself, one of your goals better be to make a profit or you're going to be out of business. 
The Bible doesn't condemn these things. In fact, the Bible instructs us to prepare for the future. Go to the book of Proverbs. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. And we're instructed to make preparations to prepare for the future. And so the question is this. Why does James have such strong words to say about this plan that's laid out here? Why does he have an issue with this? Well, beloved, it's simple. It's because this plan is presumptuous. This plan is evil. This plan is sinful. You say, well, how can that be? I mean, because the Bible says to prepare and to do all these things. So how is it that this is an evil thing? What's wrong with this plan? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I want to try to answer that together today in looking at three things that these folks failed to consider. When they were making their plans and their business plan and all their preparations, this project, they failed to consider at least three things. Number one, they failed to consider the frailty of man. The frailty of man. They had a year's worth of plans laid out. And James comes along and says to them, listen, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. They were boasting about all their success in verse 16, but uh, Proverbs 21, or excuse me, 27, 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And let's be honest, you have plans for tomorrow. Uh, for some of you may have off from work. We know school's closed tomorrow. And you've got plans. And the honest truth is, though, you really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, do you? None of us do. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 minutes much less in the next 12 months. Anything can happen. Uh, you can have plans for tomorrow. You can get a stomach bug. You can break a limb. You can be in an automobile accident. You can have a stroke. You can have a heart attack. You could be injured, disabled, or even die. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came today? I mean, that could happen in the next 12 minutes. You could die. You could have a stroke. You could have a heart attack. It's happened while I've been preaching before. Someone's had a heart attack in the service while I was preaching. It's presumptuous. It's proud. It's sinful. It's arrogant to proudly declare that we're going to go somewhere. We're going to conduct business over the next year and we're going to make a profit. No, you might go bankrupt. You might be in deep debt. We just don't know. The frailty of man, we're ignorant about the future. Now, we know as believers, if you're a child of God, we know where we're going to be 10,000 years from now. We're going to be with the Lord in heaven, but we don't really know where we're going to be 10 days from now because the future is just kind of a mystery to us. We're frail. We're fragile. We're ignorant of the future. We just don't know. But you know what? I believe that's a gracious gift from our Heavenly Father. The great Baptist preacher W.A. Criswell said this. Listen to what he said. There must have been kindness and a goodness of God in thus veiling the future from our eyes. For if man knew what the morrow would bring, he would live in constant fear and foreboding. Dying, he would die a thousand deaths before dying just once. Fainting, he would faint a thousand times under a stroke before it was yet to be delivered. God hides the future from our eyes that we might live in confidence and hope. In other words, beloved, uh, this ignorance of the future is a blessing in disguise because if you knew all that was coming, if you knew the date of your death, 
If you knew the circumstances of that death, if you knew what challenges you were going to face, imagine you'd carry that with you. There'd be no confidence, no hope, no joy, just a foreboding and a dreading. But instead, God says, listen, I want you to live your life moment by moment trusting Me. You don't know what the future holds, but you know that I hold the future. And so we live like that. John Wesley said it this way, realizing the future is uncertain not only teaches us to trust in God, it helps us to properly value the present. He says to be obsessed with future plans may work our failure to appreciate present blessings or evasion of present duties. In other words, the only time we have is this moment. And by the way, it's a gift. That's why it's called the present. And God wants us to use the gift for His honor and His glory. And so these folks, they're guilty of failing to consider the frailty of man. They may not live a year. They may not make a profit. They don't know the future. But there's a second thing they were guilty of considering or failing to consider. And that was not only the frailty of man, but the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Look at verse 14. The brevity, the shortness of life. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our lives, our lifespans are compared to a vapor, to a mist. And so you go out on a cold winter morning and you exhale and you see your breath. And then what happens to it? It's gone. Now, if it's summertime, you do that, go back and brush your teeth. That's a bad thing, all right? But in the wintertime, when you go out and you see your breath and it's there for a moment and it's gone, God says in His Word, that's a comparison. That's what your life upon the earth is like. It's that short. You get in your car and the windshield is all frosted over and you see the frost, you turn on the defrost, and what happens in a little bit, that's gone. That's a picture of the span of your life. You get your cup of coffee in the morning and... And that coffee there, it's steaming. And you see the steam for just a, a, a millisecond. It's gone. That's a picture of our life. Life is short. Life is brief. Even if we live to be a hundred, beloved, contrast that with eternity. It is but a, just a speck. It's just a dot, if you will. And some of us foolishly live our lives. We act as if we have all the time in the world. Now, I'm not advocating mindless busyness. I'm not advocating worthless doing of things and busyness. But I mean we act as if we have all the time in the world to do those things that really matter in life. We put off the important things of life. Building relationships. Sharing the Gospel. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in the Word of God. Spending time with friends and family. Spending times doing those things that really matter. And we say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. I'll do that next month. We forget about the brevity of life. We can, when we consider how foolishly we waste our time, and by the way, when you waste your time, you're wasting your life. Because that's what your life is made up of, right? The time that God gives you. We show ourselves no wiser than the soldier that I read about this past week. There's a story told of a soldier who's back in World War II and he was court-martialed for a lack of duty. And the young man was a tail gunner on a fighter plane. 
And during the court-martial proceedings, the prosecuting officer, he asked this young man this question. He said, son, what did you hear in the headset while you were in combat? What did you hear in your headset? The young man replied, I heard my squadron leader cry out, enemy planes at 5 o'clock, enemy planes at 5 o'clock, enemy planes at 5 o'clock. And the superior officer looked at this young man and said, what action did you take? The young man said, why, sir, I just sat back and relaxed because it was only 4.30. How foolish. And yet we act a lot like that young soldier, don't we? Well, it's only 4.30. I've got plenty of time. There's no imminent danger. There's no imminent harm coming. We think we have so much time to live for Christ. But the reality is, life is short. This business plan in verse 13, um, the ultimate goal of that plan was profit. Did you notice that? We're going to go to a certain city today or tomorrow. We're going to set up shop. We're going to buy and sell and we're going to make a profit. By the way, Verdi says nothing wrong with making an honest profit. But that's not the ultimate goal of life. The ultimate goal of life for a child of God is not making a profit or making a fortune. The ultimate goal for the child of God is the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, including business, do all for the glory of God. So that's why this plan was such a horrible plan. Now the plan itself could have been a great plan, but they forgot God. Beloved, life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. So I've got to ask you, are you ready if today is your day? Are you ready if today is the hour that the Lord says it's time for your life upon earth to end? Say, well, preacher, how do I get ready for that day? It's not something I like to think about. Well, the Bible is clear. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And our sin has separated us from a holy God. But God loves us so much. He says, I don't want to leave you in your sin. I want to rescue you. I want to save you. In fact, I know you can't do anything for yourself because you're dead in your sin, but I love you so much, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to send him as a little babe in Bethlehem. He's going to grow up and live a sinless life. And then he's going to voluntarily put himself on a cross and shed his precious blood and die and take upon himself the sin of the world. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. He's going to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And if you will turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ, I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll give you a home in heaven. I'll make you an heir and joint heir with my son, Jesus Christ. And I'll give you eternal life. You know, the sad thing about it is that people take a lot of preparations for the time of their death. And I think that's wise. They may go to the funeral home and they may plan out their service and they may prepay prepay their um, funeral and, and talk to their family and prepare their will and do all those things. 
But if they don't make this preparation, they've missed it all. Because we have to be ready to face death. Because it's the point that a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And so I wonder today, because life is short. Are you ready? And if not, why don't you get ready today? Why don't you get ready in this service and humble yourself and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please come into my life and save me. And He will. And you can be ready to face death when it comes. These folks were guilty of failing to consider the frailty of man, the brevity of life, but then there's a third one. That is, they failed to consider the sovereignty of God. To put it plainly, the problem with their plan, beloved, was they forgot God. They forgot God. This, beloved, is practical atheism. This is practical atheism. It's not that they said there is no God. They just lived like there is no God. And, beloved, I realize as I studied this past week, this passage again, that I've been guilty of the same thing in my life in certain areas. It's not that I don't know God. It's not even that I don't love God. It's just I realize there were some areas in my life where I just forgot about God. And that's practical atheism. Living without considering God. Maybe you would be honest today and you'd say, you know, come to think of it, I'm guilty of the same thing. Or maybe even worse, we make our plans and we leave God out of the process and then once the plan is finished, we tack the Lord on the end by saying something like this, Now, Lord, here are my plans. Please bless them. That's kind of backwards, isn't it? Shouldn't we come to the Lord first and say, Lord, well, here's what I'm facing. I need wisdom for your plan. I need help in this plan. I want to consider you in this plan. See, planning's not the problem. I'm a planner, by the way. I like to plan. Planning's not the problem. Planning without God is the problem. That's why it says in verse 15, there's a correction that comes in this thing. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Let me read it to you in the NLT. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. In other words, this is an acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ. Now, you know He's Lord, I hope. That is, He's Master. He, he's the boss. He's the one that's in charge of our lives. And we give our lives to Him. And we say, we, we love You, Lord. And, and we even call Him Lord. And this is acknowledging the Lordship of Christ in our life. It, 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 it's acknowledging that, Lord, You not only hold my life in Your hand, You hold the whole world in Your hand. You're in charge of everything. You're sovereign. You're God. And instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. So the question comes up, well, are we supposed to say that every time? Are we supposed to say, well, you know what, after church, we're going to go down to the restaurant, God willing, and then after the restaurant, uh, Lord willing, we're going to go to the lake this afternoon. And then tomorrow, God willing, we're going to be doing this. And tomorrow afternoon, Lord willing, we're going to be doing that. Well, I don't think, beloved, it's so much that we say that every time. In fact, if you study in the Scripture, sometimes the Apostle Paul added that on. 
He would say a phrase like that, Lord willing or God willing, when he's talking about his plans. And guess what? Sometimes he didn't. You see, it's not a bad idea, by the way, and if you struggle with this, it might be a wonderful thing for you for a while to remind yourself by saying it verbally over and over again when you're saying, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to go and do this or that, God willing. That's not a bad thing. Beloved, this is more than just a little trite phrase that we use. This is an attitude that we're to have in our life. More than just words, it's an attitude. It's bringing God, or better yet, maybe I say it this way, it's acknowledging God's place in my life. And by the way, you know what place He's supposed to have, right? The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. God's to have first place in our life. And so when I live with an attitude that Lord willing, God willing, whether I verbally say it or not, but if I think it in my mind, in my heart, and I plan with that in my mind, then that's being obedient to the Scripture. Now the question is, preacher, what would this look like? How can I plan my life? By the way, you say, well, we're talking about just life plans. Listen, every time you make a plan, you're planning your life, aren't you? Whether it's the next ten minutes, the next ten days, the next ten months, you're planning a part of your life. What would this look like? How do I plan with God in mind? Well, we could probably preach another, maybe a couple of sermons on that, but, but I'm, I've summarized it in a sentence. And I want to go through the sentence with you. Alright? So here's the sentence. I believe we can do this planning with God in mind if we'll plan prayerfully in accordance with God's Word for God's glory as the Holy Spirit leads you. Plan prayerfully in accordance with God's Word for God's glory as the Holy Spirit leads you. And let's walk through that a moment. First of all, plan prayerfully. I think one of the best ways we can bring God in the planning process is to pause and pray. Acknowledge His Lordship. Talk to Him about what is going to be happening. By the way, can I just encourage you, now I know tomorrow might not be a work day, but if Tuesday's a work day, and you've got your plans in front of you, just stop at the beginning of the day and say, Lord, now here's what I've got to do today. I just want to give this to You. Give me wisdom. Help me to have knowledge. Help me to know how to do these things. Help me to accept any interruptions You bring into my life, which may be just divine appointments that God brings along. It'll bring a level of, I think, uh, freedom for you and less stress just to give your day to God. But plan prayerfully. Maybe you've got some plans you've got to make. Maybe you're thinking about retirement or, or the next steps or whatever. Sit down first when you're going to talk about the plan and pray. Say, God, here's what's before me. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. Next, plan prayerfully in accordance with God's Word. In other words, your plans dare not go against this book. God's never going to lead you against the Word of God. This is His book. This is His desire. And so if your plans are sinful, they're out of line. If you can't do them for God's glory, they're out of line. And God's Word is filled with instruction and direction concerning His will for our lives. So we'll make sure that our plans are in accordance with God's Word. And then the next part says, for God's glory. That brings the motive in play. Why am I doing these things? Because the Bible says everything I do, what? I'm supposed to do it for God's glory. 
And so if my plan can't glorify God, in other words, I can't say, you know what, tomorrow, you know, the bank's closed. I wonder how hard it is to get in that ATM machine. That's out of line. You can't do that for God's glory. That's not in accordance with His Word. We can't ask His blessings on it in prayer. And we can't do it for the glory of God. Say, boy, look at me. Praise God. I'm a wonderful con artist. I'm a wonderful thief. I'm a wonderful robber. No. That's a foolish example, I know. But here's the truth of the matter. Everything we do is to be done for God's glory. Now, the next part. And here's the wonderful truth that I don't want you to miss. As the Holy Spirit leads you. Because here's the great thing about it, beloved. We're not left to ourselves. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. The Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit indwells you to help you, to guide you, to direct you, to empower you. He ultimately wants to control you for your good and God's glory. And so the Holy Spirit will work using the Word of God and our prayers to give direction. Because, you know, sometimes we put a plan in place, and it's a wonderful plan, but God has a different plan. And sometimes God doesn't reveal that till we're at that moment. I call it a divine appointment. We need to be open to that, by the way. I know we've got a lot to do, but sometimes God, as you're going through your day, may bring someone across your path, and it's a divine appointment. And God has placed that person in your life because He wants you to minister to that person. It might be sharing the Gospel. It might be encouraging them. It might be praying for them. It might be helping them. Whatever the case may be, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. And so I know that's just a sentence, but it's a full sentence. And I think it really does play in line with what the Scripture teaches here. For you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. And so if I'm going to plan, I can plan prayerfully in accordance with God's Word for the glory of God as the Holy Spirit leads you. You see, He's concerned of every area of your life. Some Christians live this way. Did you know that? They say, you know, church, that's Sunday, that's sacred. Monday through Saturday, that's secular. I'll handle that. That's not what the Bible teaches. For the believer, everything is sacred. Does God care about your business? What's the example He gave in His Word? Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, continue there a year and buy and sell and conduct business. God cares about your business. Does God care about your schooling? Yes. Does God care about your finances? Yes. Does He care about your personal life? Yes. Your personal life? Yes. Every area God cares about. There's no area He doesn't want lordship over. It's all sacred. But then we come to the very last verse. And here's the verse that may have you scratching your head a little bit. James makes the point in the last verse that just to ignore this instruction is sin. Look at verse 17. Therefore to him or her, it's implied, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Hmm. So in other words, we're responsible for what we've heard today. You can't claim you don't know. The Bible says here that um, if we know to do good, we don't do it, it's sin. And this applies to everything James has been teaching us so far. Because we're at the end of chapter 4 now. This is addressing the sins of omission. Omission. 
A Sunday school teacher was asked her class, she said, what are the sins of omission? What are the sins of omission? And one little boy raised his hand. You know, he's eager to answer. And he said, teacher, the sins of omission are the sins that we should have committed, but we didn't. <laughs> now, bless his heart, he was eager to answer, but... Um, now, that's not right. That's not the sins of omission, the ones that we should have committed. We didn't. Sins of omission are when we fail to do what God has told us to do. We omit those things. You know, there are sins of commission, the sins we commit, and that's most of the sins we think about. We think, well, we're okay. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't, I don't do those things. But the problem is we forget there's a whole bunch of sin that falls under the sins of omission. Examples might be praying. Studying our Bibles, giving, caring for the poor, witnessing, and making plans with no thought of God. And the Bible is very clear here. This is sin. It's sin. You know to do good, and you don't do it. It's sin. It's practical atheism. Not saying that there is no God, but living like there is no God. So what about it, dear Christian friend? Um, where is God when it comes to your calendar? Where is God when it comes to your schedule? Where is God when it comes to your planning? Would you be honest today? Would you have to say, you know what, I, I kind of lost Him along the way. I've been planning my life and doing these things and I kind of just lost Him along the way. Or would you say, no, He is Lord of my plan. I want to say to you on this Memorial Day weekend, life is short. Eternity's long. So let's make the right choice in planning. Let's make sure that He is the Lord of our life, the Lord of our plans, the Lord of our schedule, the Lord of our time. And let's plan prayerfully in accordance with God's Word for God's glory as the Holy Spirit leads us. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for just how practical your word is speaking to our lives. And Lord, here James has really touched on an area of our life that all of us deal with. Father, I pray today if anybody here does not know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that your Holy Spirit would do a work even now. Convict them of their sin, convince them of their need of Christ, and convert them, O oh God. And then, Lord, as Christians, those of us here who know you, help us to be open to the Holy Spirit this moment. May He put His finger on any area of our life where we've been practical atheists. May we surrender every area of our life to your Lordship today. May there be no area where we try to reserve for ourselves or say we can handle it. May we not live in sin. Lord, you've said in your word to know this and not do it. 
it is sin. So Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your leading. And thank You for this moment and this altar we can come and do business with You. We love You. We praise You. And we pray, Holy Spirit, You'll have Your will and Your way in this place this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've allowed some extra time today for the altar call. and Our closing hymn is 294, I think it is. Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. And maybe today you need to be saved. I'm going to be down front and love to talk with you about that today. If you come. The majority of the message was for believers and maybe God has put His finger on some area and you say, you know what, I need to get right about that. I need to give that to God. Maybe you're making some plans right now. You need wisdom. You can come and pray here. If you'd like us to pray with you, we'd love to do that. The altar is open. You just be obedient to the Spirit's leading. Let's stand together. 294, have that own way, Lord. Have that own way. You come. The altar is open.